Good morning. Welcome. Good to see each and every one of you today on a what may turn out to be a beautiful Lord's Day. We're so thankful you're here. We want to welcome you to East LJ Baptist Church. If you're visiting with us for the first time, we've got some special guests today. We'll uh, see them a little bit later in the service. But thank you all for being here. If you're joining us via live stream, welcome. We want you to know here at East LJ Baptist Church, we have been captivated by Christ. We have seen through the gospel God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we've seen the grace of God and the love and mercy of God. And we have been captivated by Him. We pray that you would see His beauty today. And before you leave, that you would be captivated by Christ as well. I want to thank all who served one of our members yesterday. And, and uh, especially a big thank you to uh, Andy Bradshaw and Pastor Trey for coordinating that uh, workday effort. Um, if, if you were part of that yesterday, and you can stand up after yesterday. Would you please stand so we can just thank you and appreciate your work yesterday uh, in serving one of our church members. Thank you guys. And I've been moving around slowly all morning. I was able, I was able to be there with the crew most of the time and uh, they sure did work hard. We appreciate uh, your service to the Lord uh, and to the body of Christ this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we turn in and read together in God's Word. From Mark chapter 14, a, a parallel account of uh, the passage we'll be looking at a little bit later in Luke's gospel. Mark chapter 14, I just want to read two verses, verses 61 and 62. The scene is Jesus is before the, 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 the high priest here, and uh, he's being tried, and he's, uh, he's being questioned, and uh, all sorts of things that we'll look at later. But in verse 61... It says, but he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus didn't say much during his trial before the, the high priest and the Sanhedrin. But when asked about who he was, he simply and clearly stated the facts. I am the Christ. I am the Son of the Blessed One. I am the Son of Man, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. I'm so thankful today that Jesus is the Christ, that God sent his Son to come live a perfect life in our place, to go to the cross and there bear in his own body all of God's wrath toward our sins, to be buried and on the third day rise from the dead in victory over sin and hell. I'm so thankful that he lives today and that even as he said in, 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 that, in that moment, the Son of Man is seated at the right hand of power and one day he's coming with the clouds and he's coming to judge. Praise God, he came to save the first time, but he's coming to judge when he comes back. And so, in the meantime, you and I are called to reach the nations with the gospel. The only thing that can save, the only message that can rescue us from our sin and the judgment of God. So we want to pray for our neighbors and our witness to them. We also want to pray for the unreached of the world. This morning we want to pray for a small people group in, in Angola, the Chinese of Angola. Many Chinese are moving to Angola to work. 
And there's about 54,000 of them there now, and less than 1%, seven-tenths of 1% uh, are believers. So just about 375 believers or so amongst 54,000 uh, people. We want to pray for their salvation. And I'll uh, ask you to join your hearts in praying with me for others that need God's healing as well as some that need His comfort today. Father, we come to you and we praise you as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you for sending your Son. We thank you that Jesus is the Christ, the only Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Lord Jesus, we praise you that today you sit at the Father's right hand, reigning over all things. And we thank you that you're our Savior. And we anticipate your coming. We can't wait for you to come in power with the clouds of heaven. And we know that when you come, you will come to take us home, even as you judge the world and all those who've rejected you. God, I pray that no one, under the sound of my voice today, would leave this time still rejecting you, but, Lord, would embrace you as their only Savior, as their only hope. God, we pray for our neighbors, all those that we come in contact with and have the opportunity to share the gospel with. We pray that you would make us bold and full of compassion with the gospel. Open our mouths and witness. We pray, God, for the nations, and especially the Chinese in Angola this morning. Father, tonight, uh, this morning, we praise you for what you did Wednesday night in saving three of our uh, young men in, in, youth, in our youth group. God, how we praise you for your power to save, for your goodness and grace. And we rejoice with the angels of heaven in the salvation of these three young men. God, today we continue to pray for a, a number of folks who need your healing. We pray for Jan Ballou. We pray for Van Powell. Thank you that he's here today. We continue to pray for Lori Ott. Uh, continue to pray for Billy Ayers. Thank you he's with us as well. We uh, pray for Russell Adamson. We thank you for answered prayer for Patsy Ray and for Lana Weberg, who was to be transferred to LJ uh, Parkside even yesterday. We continue to lift up Kathy Rickard and Judy Williams. Thank you for a good report on Judy's progress this week. Pray for James Hearley. We praise you for what you're doing in McKenna Cook's life. Continue to pray for Sophia Deerwent. And God, today, several families uh, for whom we pray that you would be the God of all comfort. We pray for the, Teresa Roberts and, and Roberts and her family in the death of her son this week. We pray for the family of Eloise Chesser, uh, uh, best friend of uh, Sheila Miller who passed away um, this weekend. We continue to pray for the families of Eunice Penland and uh, Eunice Penland and, and Claire Ralston and Kathy Cothern and Bruce Taylor. Father, thank you that you are both the great physician and the great comforter. And we praise you and we ask you to work in these lives. Lord, use us, your people, to minister one to another the love of Christ, even as you've given it to us in him. Thank you, Father, for the privilege to worship you together now. And may Christ be exalted May our hearts be still in your presence, and in Jesus, may we find our all in all this morning. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Remain standing as we worship in song this morning. We're glad you've joined us this morning. We're going to start with Blessed Be Your Name.
Father, thank you for who you are. And Lord, this morning we stand before you only in Christ. We live as your children only by the power of Christ. And we are still amazed and stand in awe of the fact that we can call you Father and that you delight to call us your children. It's all because of Christ and Christ alone. Lord Jesus, we praise you for who you are. I pray that today we would see more clearly the heart of our Father, the love of our Savior. And God, that you would call us and move us by your Spirit in accordance with the truth we'll hear from your Word to be more fully surrendered to you. Father, I pray for some in the room and join us via live stream today that, Father, they would, they would come to trust you as Savior for the first time in this hour. But God, for all of us as your people, I pray that we would love Jesus more as a result of this time together. And we know that to love Jesus means to obey him, to do what, his, what he's commanded us to do in the power of the Holy Spirit. God, come and continue to fill this place, control our hearts and minds as we open your word together. Be our teacher, and by your spirit, transform us by your word. We pray it all in the name of the living word, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll be dismissed to Children's Church. And as they're making their way out, we will invite you to, I want to invite you to turn through in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. In just a few minutes, we'll be looking at, uh, begin our reading in verse 54, and then skip down to verse 63 and following. Probably the most famous sermon ever preached on American soil was Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. That sermon was preached at Enfield, Connecticut on July the 8th, 1741. And God used that sermon in remarkable ways, bringing many to faith in Jesus Christ at the time that it was preached, in what came to be the Second Great Awakening. And probably many more in the years since as it's been read. In our text for today, in Luke chapter 22, we see God actually allowing himself in the person of his son to be taken into custody, to be mocked, beaten, and falsely judged by angry sinners who finally succeeded in executing him. I want to talk to you today about the sinless Savior in the hands of angry sinners. That's where we find ourselves in Luke's gospel. And the truth I want you to take home this morning from this passage is simply this. Though the wicked may unjustly judge Jesus, 
the day is coming when Jesus will justly judge all who reject him. Luke chapter 22, verse 54. You remember we left off last week with the arrest of Jesus there in the garden. And in verse 54, the text says, Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. Now in verses 55 down through verse 62, we have the account of Peter's denial three times of Jesus that even knows him. We looked at that some months ago now. We're focusing on Jesus' arrest and his trial today. So skipping down to verse 63, it says, Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophesy! Who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. When day came, the assembly of the elders, by the way, the implication of that, and this will be important later, that first phrase in verse 66, when day came, the implication was everything else up to that point had been when? At night. Man, I tell you what, <laughs> you had a 50-50 chance of getting that right, and we have got a sharp crowd this morning. Good job. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council, and they said, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. Then they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. Now I want to back up and fill in some blanks with some other gospel parallel accounts here. So what we just read is, is what happened as they, were, as they arrested Jesus and it says they took him to the high priest house. But something happened before that. They took him somewhere else before they took him to the high priest house. In John 18 verse 12 it says, So the band of soldiers and their captains their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. So what we just read in Luke happened at Caiaphas's house. But before that, they went to Annas's house. Verse 14, it was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. So just a little aside here, why... Take him to Annas' house. What's the deal with Annas? Who is this Annas? Well, Annas, besides being the father-in-law of Caiaphas, had been the high priest for about five or six years, 20 years prior to this moment. He hadn't been high priest for 20 years. He's likely in his 80s by now, but think mafia boss. You with me? He, he wasn't running the day-to-day -day business in the temple of the spiritual mafia, if you will, of religious leaders, but he was still the boss behind the scenes. He was the man behind the corruption 
in the temple. Five of his sons were high priests after him, and the Old Testament law identified a high priest for life. Five high priests in the 20 years, and now another one who is his son-in-law. You, you kind of start to get the picture. It was the family business, and he had kept the power in the family. And so that's why they took him to Annas' house, so they could get from the top somebody on their side to accuse Jesus of some crime. text goes on there in John, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. And then we go over to Mark chapter 14. And pick it up in verse 55. Mark fills in a few more details about what happened in Caiaphas' house than Luke gives. Now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. Listen to these words. Don't miss. Every word is important. But they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, this is where we read from at the beginning of the service. Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness, witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. The truth I want you to take home from all this account that we've read is this. Though the wicked may unjustly judge Jesus, they did in Jesus' day, and they do in our day. The day is coming when Jesus will justly judge all. Who reject him. I want you to see three realities from this wicked trial of Jesus Christ. Trial, if you can even call it that. First of all, I want you to understand and see the illegal and unjust nature of the trial of Jesus. It, you really can't even call it a legal trial. Now, though you wouldn't know it from this mockery of a trial of Jesus Christ, the Sanhedrin's court, uh, their rules 
were perhaps the most merciful and just that the world has ever seen. We've not read anything about that in the gospel account yet. It's not there in the gospel account. They, they totally perverted the system and, and the rules of justice. But the Sanhedrin's court rules were perhaps the most merciful and just the world has even, even today yet seen. The laws of jurisprudence provided three things in relation to criminal procedure. Number one, a public trial. Number two, a defense for the accused. Number three, a confirmation of guilt by two or three witnesses, which all this stuff goes back to the Old Testament law. By the way, if you were listening at all, when you were reading through the different accounts from the Gospels, you've already heard that all three of those things have been blown by this supposed trial. The charges had to be proven, the one who was accused had to be defended, and all matters had to be public, especially in a capital trial. That is one that involved life and death. Additionally, no capital trial could be held, like Jesus' trial, at night. The trial had to be held, in fact, not just anywhere they decided to gather, not even at a high priest's house. The trial had to happen in what was known as the Chamber of Hewn Stones, which is in the temple in Jerusalem. Annas' house wasn't good enough. Not even the current high priest Caiaphas' house was good enough. Do you see a theme developing. Corruption all over the place. They said, even of their own process, we hold it fundamental that no one shall pray. And this is from the Mishnah that tells us about how things worked in that day. We hold it as fundamental that no one shall prejudice himself. If a man accuses himself before a tribunal, we must not believe him unless the fact is attested by two other witnesses, for our law does not condemn upon the simple confession of the accused, nor upon the declaration of one prophet alone. In short, you could not incriminate yourself. In Jesus' case, they said, what further need do we have of testimony? We've heard it from his own mouth. But you see, according to the own rules, from his own mouth wasn't good enough. So merciful and just was this process. You say, well, why, why was the confession not good enough? Because what if it was being coerced by someone? Of course, when Jesus confessed to who he was, he was telling the absolute truth. He wasn't confessing to anything criminal. Furthermore, if the Sanhedrin voted unanimously for a verdict of guilty, listen to this, the accused had to be set free because it demonstrated a lack of mercy that they were to be showing and it, it gave evidence that perhaps there was a conspiracy amongst them. So they built a safeguard into their own process whereby the, if it was a unanimous vote, no go on the death penalty. There was no system like this in the world. If this system made an error, and as it was operated by the rules that were set up, it would err on the side of mercy. 
And every person present at Jesus' trial knew this. They knew all of this. Those who condemned Jesus. These are the standards they had lived by and they were held to by the populace and they prided themselves on because this was a manifestation of their own personal virtue and their adherence to God's expectation. But the Sanhedrin and the high priest in the trial of Jesus Christ violated everything, hear me, everything. And the world needs to understand this. All the principles of justice they affirmed and implemented, they scrapped them. And they perpetuated the crime of the ages in the illegal and unjust trial of the Lord Jesus Christ. They breached all of their own standards to condemn the most innocent person, the completely innocent, spotless, totally righteous Lamb of God, to condemn Him, the most pure person to ever live. Why? All because of their lust for power and their self-righteous pride. And those two motives drove them into a frenzied irrationality to the point where, where, not unknowingly, but they basically went crazy and started acting like animals in, in spite of all of their own rules. These motivations, the lust for power and self-righteous pride, can I just, can I just make sure you understand, make sure we're all on the same page? These are still the great temptations of the religious. Even of church goers today. The lust for power and self-righteous pride. It can happen in a local church. How many churches have split over, ultimately, at the root, the lust for power? How many churches have been divided by self-righteous pride? And you put those two things together in leaders in a church, and you got real problems then. A lust for power driven by self-righteous pride. And the inability to humble yourself before one another. You see, the trial of Jesus by the Jews was illegal and unjust. The second thing I want you to see from the trial of Jesus Christ is this. The example of how the just one endured the injustice of the wicked. Really the first point and in a minute the third point are are focused on the world. Those who need Jesus. Uh, The world needs to know the injustice. Realize what happened. Nothing was right about the crucifixion of Jesus. This point is really for us as God's people. The example of how the just one endured the injustice of the wicked. You see, Jesus could have defended himself, right? I mean, if you're innocent, even as he did say at one point, 
I mean, guys, you want to know what I, what I teach, what I've said, who I say I am? Just ask the people, the thousands that have heard me. He could have defended himself. Jesus could have called the Sanhedrin, as we've already seen, called them out for their violations of their own rules and of the law of Moses, but instead, what did he do in the main? Instead, Jesus remained mostly silent. Not protesting, not resisting, but only stating the truth of who he was and who he is. It reminds me of 1 Peter chapter 2. You see, in this behavior, Jesus set an example for us. The example of how the just one, Jesus himself, endured the injustice of the wicked. And that's why Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Why? Why, why does God see that as a gracious thing? Why, why is it that when we suffer, like, like God views our suffering for his sake, as very special. Why is that? For to this you have been called, verse 21 says. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Listen to verse 23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Who is that? That's God, his Father. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter says, listen, when you suffer for Jesus... That's an amazing thing. It's a gracious thing in God's sight. That's the way it's supposed to be. Jesus suffered for you, and he left an example for you that you should follow in his steps. How did he suffer? Well, when he was reviled, he didn't revile back. When he suffered, he, he didn't threaten. What did he do? He entrusted himself to his Father, who judges justly. And so that's why... A couple chapters later, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, Peter exhorts his readers, he exhorts you and me, let therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The way Jesus kept his mouth shut and simply endured injustice and only, only responded to state the truth of who he was, it's how we're to deal with opposition as believers. Just as Jesus endured the injustice of the Jews, so we as Christ's followers are to endure injustice and persecution as his followers by entrusting our souls to our just judge who will vindicate us when he returns to take us home. We have here the example of the just one about how we're to endure injustice when it comes from the wicked. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Jesus, in his trial before the Jews, showed us how to endure.
It's not easy, is it? Man, the knee-jerk of our hearts is to fight back. The knee-jerk of our hearts is to defend ourselves. And yet, even in the lives of the apostles, what do you see in, in the book of Acts? And, 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 and what do we read in church history? What we see is those men never defended, those men and women never defended themselves. They simply defended the name of Jesus. And whatever they received, they just took it. That he might be exalted. That he might be exalted. The last thing I want you to see from our text this morning and some other texts from the other Gospels is this. The certainty of the just one's coming judgment on unjust sinners. Mark 14, 61 and 62, we read it already. But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. It is a certainty that the just one, Jesus himself, will come in judgment on unjust sinners. Jesus is saying here in these verses from Mark chapter 14, he's saying in effect, I'm going to die as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I'm going to rise from the dead on the third day and then I'm going to ascend to be seated at the Father's right hand as King of kings and, and Lord of lords, ruling and reigning over all. And one day, Whenever the Father says it's time, I'm coming back to eternally judge a world of sinners who have sat in judgment on me. Uh, they've rejected the good news of, of love and mercy and grace that was extended to them through my life, death, and resurrection. And through my church in the preaching of the gospel, even to the ends of the world. That's a certain as can be. It was of this exaltation, of this coming judgment that Paul wrote in Philippians 2 verse 8, where he describes the life and death and resurrection and reign of Christ. He says, and being found in human form, he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That day is coming. Right now, if you could see into heaven, you know where Jesus is? He's right where he told the Jews he'd be. From now on, you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the Father's right hand. He's reigning over all things as Lord of all. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Sometimes, if you, if you flip on the news, it doesn't look that way. Sometimes we can't really understand how it could possibly be so. But what is true, what is more true than the news, what is more true than how I feel, is what Jesus said, and he's sitting at the Father's right hand, and he's reigning over all things. He is in charge. Our Savior is the boss of all things. And one day, when the Father says it's time, he's going to stand up. And he's going to come back. And when he comes back, he's going to gather to himself all who've trusted him, all who believed in him. And he's going to take us home. Now, I don't know about you, 
But I'm ready for that. I'm ready for that. You know, Peter talks about how we rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible. And though we've never seen him, I've never seen Jesus. But man, I love him. Why do I love him? Because he first loved me. He, he, he did all this for me. And I can't wait to see him for that first time. But when I see him, you English teachers just deal with it. I'll never not see him again. I'll look on his face forever and ever and ever. I'm not even sure where I was going. I just kind of got off on that moment. And I'm just, I'm telling you, that's, that's, that's the deal. He's coming back. And then, after, I, I remember, after he gathers us to himself, he's going to judge the world. These guys thought they got the last word. They thought they finally got their way. They finally got the control back, the religious, spiritual control of the nation. And it wouldn't be long. He'd be dead as a hammer, hanging on a cross, bleeding. It wouldn't be long. He'd be laid in a tomb. But on the third day, he rose, and he sits on the throne right now, and he's coming back. And when he comes back, it's no meek and mild Jesus anymore. Until he comes, we'll suffer for righteousness' sake. We'll suffer for the name. Where we'll, we are to quietly endure for the exaltation of Christ. But when Jesus comes, let me just tell you, it's going to get loud and it's going to be ugly for all who've ever rejected him. And but for the grace, it would be a grace of God, it would be us. Jesus, the only just one, will return to righteously judge unjust sinners. Yes, though the wicked may unjustly judge Jesus, the day is coming when Jesus will justly judge all who reject him. It is my prayer that no one here, no one sitting in this room, no one joining us via live stream this morning, no one would sit in judgment on Jesus as the wicked religious Jews did. And yet we all have, haven't we? Hello? Do, do, do you know that when, when I choose to sin, I pretty much sit in judgment on Jesus. I just kind of ignore who he is. I kind of decide I'm not going to be the boss today. Or he's not, you're not going to be the boss today, Jesus. I'm going to be the boss today. And right on down the line it goes in our lives. Oh, how I pray that none of us would ultimately sit in judgment on Jesus but rather see him willingly enduring the injustice of the crucifixion in order to satisfy God's holy wrath toward your sin, toward my sin. Oh, and we would surrender to him. We would love him in response. In 1633, the great Dutch artist Rembrandt painted a painting called The Raising of the Cross, a painting of the crucifixion in which your attention is first drawn to the dying Savior. You see it there. Then you notice the crowd gathered around and there's different responses there. And Actually, this is not a crowd, just a couple guys there. But right here in the middle, you see the guy with the light shining on him. You know why, you know why, why that light's shining on that guy? I mean, it's the, it's the raising of the cross. Surely, Jesus is certainly central, but 
of the two people in the picture, the one at the foot of the cross there with the hat on and the sort of bluish-greenish clothes is kind of highlighted. Do you know why? Rembrandt painted himself into the picture. The preaching of the great Protestant Reformation had so impacted him that he couldn't paint a picture of the cross of Christ without painting himself into the picture. The great artist realized that his sins had helped nail Jesus to the cross, and so he painted himself into the picture. He realized that at one point he had been like the Jews, the Sanhedrin, in their illegal and unjust judgment of the Son of God. And he realized because of his sin, that's the reason Jesus had to hang on that cross. And so he painted himself into the picture. And you know what? So should we. The question for you this morning, if you don't know Jesus, is very simply this. Will you acknowledge your sin and the truth that only Jesus can rescue you from the just wrath of God? Will you confess that Jesus is indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? Will you you confess to Him that He is your only hope? He is the only Savior. Will you do that today? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank You that You willingly... And even sovereignly laid down your life to save us. But in the process, you put your life and allowed your life to be taken at the hands of angry sinners. So that we never, if we'll trust Jesus, never have to find ourselves in the hands of an angry and holy and just God, but through Christ we can be rescued, changed from enemies of God to sons and daughters of the living God, righteous before Him in Jesus. Oh God, how I pray that today someone would trust you right now, even as we're singing in just a moment. And oh God, for us, your people, may we be further all this morning at your grace further amazed at your willingness in all of your innocence to give your life to suffer at the hands of wicked wicked men that you Jesus would allow yourself to be spit on to be slapped be mocked because of my sin. May we be more amazed at your love and grace than ever before as your people as we sing today. And may we praise you with all of our hearts. For Jesus, you and you alone are worthy. Do what only you can do in our hearts, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together. 
This altar is open for you to come and pray however you may need to seek the Lord's face today. If you don't know Jesus, this message has been primarily to you. Will you come to him today? Will you lay down your judging of Christ? Sitting in judgment on him. Not allowing him to be in your life who he is, in fact. Will you surrender to him? Our church doors are open to receive members however we can. You may have other needs that you want somebody to pray with, pray with you about. If you come to this altar, folks will surround you. And they'll pray with you. You can share prayer requests here with other folks. And they'll, they'll lift that up together. Maybe there's someone who has been on your heart during this message. They need Christ. They're rejecting him. And, and you've been praying for them. You've been witnessing to them. And, and this morning you would just lift them up in prayer many in this room that would join you in that so as the Lord leads he works in your hearts respond to him I want to invite you to just close your eyes and let the spirit of the Lord speak to your heart this morning
nothing compares to this. What a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus. What a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus.